HR is awfully good at focusing on activities as opposed to how are we measuring results. And any good business person will be much more focused on the outputs rather than the inputs. And I think if all HR professionals had the discipline of really force ranking their activities with the business and prioritizing, they actually would be able to let go of their bottom quartile of work more regularly and then redeploying that into the things that really matter for the business. Welcome to the Learn Podcast, where we interview top leaders in tech and learn about how they're building the world's most innovative companies. I'm Teb Losser, CEO and co-founder of WorkRamp, the world's first learning cloud platform. Our mission is to help professionals reach their full potential through learning, and the Learn Podcast is where we can learn from the best leaders at the top of their game. Please subscribe, leave us a rating, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Learn Podcast. So excited to have you on here today. We have a special guest, Darcy McKay, SVP of HR and Client Services at Rippling. We're also a Rippling customer. So thanks for building a great product, Darcy. But uh, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here, Ted. Well, Darcy, let's get it kicked off first with an elevator pitch about yourself. Tell us a little about your background. A lot of people think of me as an HR professional, but actually I've spent most of my career being just a business leader, overseeing large teams, thousands of people in different roles around the world. And I guess I kind of have become a little bit of a homegrown expert on HR as a result of that. But I did do a formal stint as a chief people officer for a Fortune 120 company for a few years, and that was quite the learning journey for me. So that's a bit of my background. And I joined Rippling recently, where, as you said, I oversee all things related to HR and workplace, in addition to client services, which is basically looking after the employees of Rippling customers who we employ through either our PEO entity in the United States or EOR globally. What's really unique about you and for the audience about Darcy is she's one of the rare people who has had experience running huge business units, being the president at CBRE, and then moving into a CPO role, chief people officer role, and then moving back to the business, and then now coming to a HR vendor. So super unique background. So what we wanted to do today is actually talk about perspectives before heading into the people function and then afterwards, her learnings. And then also now being on the other side of the fence as a, let's call it a software provider, what she's learning about the market. And so what we'll do is actually start off with before taking the CPO job at CBRE, and maybe you give us a little background on CBRE. I know, but I'm not sure if the whole audience knows CBRE, a little background on the company itself, what you were running, and then how you felt about just the people function before you headed into the actual people function. CBRE is the world's largest globally integrated commercial real estate firm, commercial property firm, and it has many different aspects of the business, including the investor side of the business and then the occupier side of the business. For most of my career, I was on the occupier side of the business, which meant I was in the business of serving end users of space. They could be tech companies, they could be pharmaceutical companies, banks, et cetera, on their large portfolio strategies and how they actually run and implement a workplace experience. So we were not a product company. We were a services-based company and services are provided by people. They have underlying technology for sure, but we used to say that our assets went home in the elevator every night. And I would say being in a product company now, that's really no different because you need only so much code can write itself. Generally, you need really smart people to think about what we want to do from a product standpoint and then actually develop the code, test the product, et cetera. 
So that's what I was doing at CBRE before I became a chief people officer. When you were running the business unit itself, what was your viewpoint on the people function itself? Like, did you have a unique viewpoint from your seat as president and running specific unit of the people function itself? Yeah. So I oversaw in each of my roles, I was managing typically somewhere between 5,000 and maybe 9,000 people globally. It's a bit like when you buy a home and you become a real estate expert or you think you're a real estate expert. Well, when you manage people, you kind of by some nature are in the HR business, even though you may not be formally trained in HR or have HR in your title, but you're managing other managers. And so a large part of my job was trying to figure out how to recruit and then retain and develop the best talent in the industry because that was a competitive advantage for me as a business leader and how I was going to do better than the competition. And so when I saw things that weren't working right, like we had trouble onboarding employees, the onboarding experience itself was incredibly disjointed or we didn't necessarily have a place to codify where someone's career potential could go and how a learning and development program would help support that or a stretch assignment would help support that. That didn't necessarily then tie into someone's compensation history and trajectory. Lord knows none of that actually tied into anything related to finance, their approvals to spend, as employees migrated through the company into different jobs or different entities, there would be these points in time where things would break. The data would get missed, taxes would get recalculated or missed, benefits would get dropped. And the whole experience was less than great for the employee themselves, but also the manager who really was just wanting to focus on doing well for their clients and keeping their people focused on the task at hand rather than working to kind of rekey data or troubleshoot a problem. So while HR was a really important part of my leadership team, and I always had my HR business partner kind of side by side with me, as I did finance, most of the time they were chasing problems or they were chasing solutions to problems or diagnosing the problems and trying to fix them, whether they were payroll related or some other data in the system or calculating DEI, or we were running compensation cycles on spreadsheets, which I'm sure is probably familiar to a lot of your listeners, as opposed to doing some of the higher value work that I think HR really should be doing, and frankly, most HR professionals want to be doing. So helping me understand the trends in what's going on in my workforce, how engaged people are, how is my turnover going, particularly with regard to both voluntary and involuntary turnover. What about workforce planning? Where am I going to find the next 500 hires, particularly in markets where the best technical talent is still really hard to get? My HR business partners, time and time again, had trouble finding the bandwidth in their day to focus with me on those bigger business problems that were going to help me create a competitive advantage three years or five years down the road. So that was my experience, and I didn't really understand why that was the case until I got in the inside of HR and discovered what was really happening. That's what I was going to ask you next. So you get plucked out, you see all these problems, you're probably itching to solve them, but it's not your day job. You get plucked out of that role, you get placed into the global CPO role. What were, let's say the one to two kind of major things that you're super proud of accomplishing during that tenure that you went and embarked on? 
I would say that the first realization I had was the why I was experiencing the symptoms, right? I then became kind of the doctor to understand what was really going on with the patient. And part of it had to do with the fact that the HR teams, and this is just extremely common in the industry, are actually quite siloed. So on the one hand, you have, in many organizations, you have your HR business partners or HRBPs. On the other hand, you've got these centers of excellence or specialists, whether they're in learning development or whether they're in compensation or analytics. And as organizations grow and HR professionals have an opportunity to take on another FTE or a few FTE, you're typically drawing from people who have very siloed backgrounds in many ways. It's a discipline that has become quite specialist. And the specialization is fantastic. But if it's not strung together with the employee experience in the middle of it, it leads to behavior that may fit the immediate task at hand, but may miss the bigger picture. And when I talk about the employee experience, I'm not talking about like fluffy food services. What I'm talking about is human-centered design. If you put the employee, and we're all employees in the company, right, whether you're an individual contributor or whether you're a manager or the CEO, we're all employees of a company, what is that experience? And so one of the first things that I did besides just reset the leadership team and bring in some new talent was to look at how we reconstruct a journey for the employee that was really consistent with the brand we wanted to put forth in the market and the type of talent we wanted to attract. So how are we reaching out into the market around our talent brand? What was the experience of a potential employee with our brand through the sourcing process and through the recruiting process? What was their onboarding experience like? And then once they got into the organization, what was their experience of us as a company? Was it joined up? Did we catalog where their hopes and dreams were going to go, where their aspirations were to move from one role in the company to another? That's the promise of any high growth company, right, is being able to say to an employee, not only are you going to be able to do awesome work at you're developing the next product or whatever it is, but we also have other career opportunities for you as you want to evolve. We put together that journey that linked to learning and development and compensation and really the full picture of the employee life cycle. And then we integrated the HR team around that so that our processes and then ultimately the technology were connected around that for the employee. You're talking about how much you invest in the employee experience. I had in our in my pre-call notes, I underlined it, the chiller story, the chiller experience, and where you really did the research into the employee experience. Tell us the story about, I called it the chiller story. I don't know if you call it that, but give us that story. I'm a pretty hands-on learner. I think one of the most interesting questions I ask people is like, what do you do? Different people have titles, but when you get into companies, it's not often clear like what people do. And I remember sitting down to get to know my recruiting team, and they were based in the U.S. recruiting team. In this case, they were based in Dallas. And you always get pressure to add more headcount. And so I wanted to understand, like, what are these people actually doing? Like, show me how you source. Show me how you recruit. Like, take me through the pain points of your day. And one of the things that I figured out was that this particular recruiter that I was talking to, she was responsible for sourcing and recruiting technical building talent. So meaning folks that have experience, for example, repairing HVAC systems, you know, heating, ventilation and air conditioning systems to keep buildings going. And she didn't know what a chiller was, or she kind of knew what a chiller was in terms of a cooling system. 
but she had never really experienced it. And she was having trouble really filtering, like, who were the best athletes. We happen to have a lot of clients in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, including some hospital systems. So I arranged a bit of a field trip where we took our sourcing and recruiting experts out into a hospital system where not only the client, but our technical teams hosted these folks to show them what a chiller actually looks like and why it's important to, for example, operating a NICU, keeping infants alive when they're born prematurely, or taking care of different ventilation systems in a hospital when someone's in surgery. And it just gave so much meaning to her and her role. And she then understood actually what she was doing. And I think the message here is not that everybody needs to understand an HVAC system, but rather that when you are in HR, you actually need to learn the business that you are there to serve. You have your own discipline, your own expertise in HR, and that's terrific. But if you don't know your business and you don't know your end customers, you're not going to be working at your full potential. Hey everyone, we're in the middle of a conversation with Darcy McKay, SVP at Rippling. In this conversation, one of the topics we talk about is the concept of inputs and outputs into L&D organizations. She really mentions about focusing on the outputs of L&D orgs. And if you want to focus on the outputs of your org, you should definitely check out WorkRamp. WorkRamp is the all-in-one learning cloud that focuses on driving the right outputs for your business and for your L&D orgs and your customer ed orgs, plus your sales enablement teams. So if you want to learn more, visit us at workramp.com. Now back to the show. I've been reading the Elon Musk book by Walter Isaacson, and there's this problem with their Tesla solar roofs. And what they realized was that the people designing the tiles were not installing the tiles. So they had this big disconnect. So he forced the engineers to go actually put in a few roofs to understand how bad their designs were. But once they were communicating and understanding each other, they dramatically improve the whole flow of work. It just reminds me of your example of, hey, if they know the business, they can recruit much better, inspire people. That's a spot on insight. I think sometimes people are afraid to ask the questions. And I think that's just silly. I mean, if you don't know something, I think one of the most powerful and mature things you can do is just go out and ask the questions. The fact is that HR, along with a lot of the GNA functions, are incredibly hard-pressed to justify additional hires. I don't know a single HR organization or finance or legal for that matter that's not asking for additional talent. And so I think we need to have the discipline of really unpacking what it is that we're doing and where we need to keep, start, or stop doing things. And HR is awfully good at focusing on activities as opposed to how are we measuring results. And any good business person will be much more focused on the outputs rather than the inputs. And I think if all HR professionals had the discipline of really force ranking their activities with the business and prioritizing, they actually would be able to let go of their bottom quartile of work more regularly and then redeploying that into the things that really matter for the business. That's spot on. Even in the learning world where we're from, we see almost too many programs. I think it's not hard to get the inputs in there. Like you could always scramble and do more programs, but the outputs, you're spot on where it's like, we're not focusing enough on the end of the funnel, mostly on the inputs, right? Because they feel good. They're like empty calories. You're doing a lot of work. Exactly. And learning and development is kind of the classic Petri dish for that, or name your analogy, where People love to run programs. They love to load LMS systems with all of these things, but 
to what end and how are we actually measuring the efficacy of those programs to the business? I want to move to the new phase of your career here in a second around rippling. You're only two months in, but before I get there, I want to ask one last question to kind of cap off the CBRE discussion. So you left the CPO role back into the business. Was there something that you appreciated way more now coming back into the business from that role of the HR function that you didn't really appreciate before? On the one hand, I had a whole lot more empathy particularly because the technology systems that we were working with were so broken and the roadmap to fix them was a multi-year roadmap. So on the one hand, I had a lot more empathy, but on the other hand, I had a lot more impatience. I knew who to go to down into the bowels of the organization in order to get some things done and to put my finger on the pressure points. We'll talk about the technology in a second, but I want to ask you about empathy. Did it give you, actually more from a leadership perspective, I'm assuming you had to be even more empathetic to a global workforce. You had at least saw a lot more problems than probably you saw in your previous role. Did you become a more empathetic leader as well too? Did it change your leadership style? How did you take empathy into more of the leadership side of the house too? And we'll talk about technology with Rippling. I think that folks tend to be a bit more empathic than other cohorts in the business. And I'm generalizing a little bit. Yeah, I needed to certainly demonstrate more empathy while still holding people to very high standards and results when I was managing an HR team versus when I was managing people in the business who are very used to being held accountable to a scorecard and a P&L and client SAT scores or however teams are measured. It takes a little more of a gentle approach, but still at the end of the day, I'm a business leader and I want results. Actually, with our clients, that's what we're seeing right now is like we really strike the right balance of, yes, we need empathetic leadership, but the right performance and results. And you got the perfect mix of that from your experiences at CBRE. But let's switch over to Rippling now. So you've been at Rippling for two months. Tell us more about why you came to Rippling. There are many kind of personal reasons, you know, being based in San Francisco, I had been with a very large publicly traded company for a long time. And so the idea of coming to a late stage, but pretty public company was very interesting to me. I spent a lot of time with the leadership here, including Parker and Kinnis and folks, and the company was just super exciting to me. But I think at my most fundamental level, I had lived the pain that Rippling was trying to solve. And in their case, focusing on the SMB market, moving up into mid-market and then enterprise. I had obviously been at a different scale, but had really suffered from broken systems and not just disengaged employees and frustrated managers that had to run multiple compensation cycles on literally 10 or 20 spreadsheets, disjointed onboarding experiences, offboarding where the tech didn't disconnect with the employee. And so I was really interested in this idea about how technology could help solve a lot of these problems and prevent problems before they even occur. And also because kind of going back to this premise that HR teams are so pressed to do more with less, the idea that if you get the underpinning of your employee record right and you get the technology right, you can actually grow your capacity to serve as an HR team or as a finance team more efficiently with that technology than you otherwise would. So going back to kind of my beginning journey here, I could have taken at least a third of my team 
and freed their bandwidth completely to work on the kind of strategic planning and workforce development and planning work that I needed to grow my business instead of chasing down all these problems with running global payroll, for example. That's why I joined Rippling, essentially. Let's actually wrap the content portion, but then go into the learn rapid fire round. This is the round where I'll just ask a few questions. We'll love one or two line answers just to get to know you a little bit better. First question I'll ask is what is one of your favorite kind of blogs, books, news sources you're learning from on a day-to-day basis? I go back to, I have a couple of standards that are really fundamental for me. One is just Jim Collins, good to great. Just get the right people in the right seats on the bus. And that is so fundamental to making things work. The other one that I love to lean on is Greg McCown's Essentialism, which is the disciplined pursuit of less. And it really talks me through the rigor of what must get done versus like, what are all the millions of things on my plate that could be done? Essentialism, I'll have to put it on my list, but good to great. I love Jim Collins. I haven't reread that in a while now, but great book. Let me ask you about HR predictions over the next five years. Do you have one major prediction on the, let's call it HR tech side of the house over the next five years? I think that we're going to continue to see a very strong interest in these compound type functionality and systems, as opposed to the focus that has been on these really deep point solutions that have created deep silos and do not connect with one another. Well, that's exactly what you're making a difference on and you've made our lives easier. So thank you because you're right. It's so hard to have the teams to support these over time. So the more you can consolidate, the better. Last question I'll ask you, this is a career question. You've had an amazing career and you have so much more left as well. What's one piece of advice that you would give to the audience in terms of their careers, especially if they're looking at people functions? I would say that I fall back on one of my classics, which is like what got you here personally in your career is not what's going to get you where you want to be. Don't be afraid to think deeply about what you need to give up and get some great people around you that will give you candid feedback so that you can progress where you want to go. That's a great answer. Well, Darcy, thanks so much for spending time with us today on the Learn Podcast. This is a great conversation. You have such a unique background running a huge function at one of the best companies in the world. So thank you for spending the time with us today. Thanks, Ted. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to the Learn Podcast. If you're a fan of the podcast, do us two favors. One is subscribe to it so you can get the latest update for our most recent episodes. And two, write a short review of the podcast. This helps us get discovered in the broader podcast community. Thanks again.